a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah Health. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Let's lock in. This is Unrivaled. Yes! Yes! The teams you live for. The sports you love. With Scott Mitchell and Alex Keurig. Presented by G2G Bars. On 97.5 The KSL Sports Zone. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It is Unrivaled, 97.5 VKSL Sports Zone. Alex Keery, former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell, to my right. And just so much going on. Every Monday, we have just so many things to break down. And, of course, uh, the Combine has brought us all sorts of interesting storylines, as it does. At the very least, we search for those storylines and see who the guys are who were not on a radar and then suddenly jump onto a radar and so we're going to get some help breaking this whole thing down. Let's start off the show as we always do with the cut as Eric Edholm of NFL.com joins us. Let's jump in right here. The unquestioned. Undeniable. Unrivaled. Top sports story of the hour. Here's what made the cut. Ain't nothing like it. The cut presented by G2G Bars. All natural ingredients. No preservatives. G2G Bars. Perfect for anybody who needs that quick, tasty, nutritious boost. Eric Edholm, NFL.com, joining us here on the program. Uh, Eric, you had your, your uh, work cut out for you over the uh, the Combine, and uh, man, it's just so much going on here. How do you try to really break down actual numbers and who's going to hit versus you know somebody who just has a really, really athletic day at the Combine? Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me, first of all. Uh, yeah, the, the Combine's a really interesting test uh, for for. A lot of people, you know, some teams put a lot of emphasis into the numbers and, you know, how, how far they deviate negatively or positively from what's expected, right? You watch a player on tape, you say, okay, that's a 4-7 guy. He runs a, he's going to run a 4-7-40 in Indy based on the way he plays. Then he shows up and runs a 4-9-5, and you say, okay, what, what, what's happening here? So there are cases where, you know, players are not don't perform as well as expected, Maybe their arms are shorter. Maybe their their weight isn't what you're expecting. There there's so many different variables here, but I still think that the, the bedrock of, of scouting is always going to be watching the tape, um, doing the background work on these players, finding out injury uh, qualities, all that stuff, 
and then kind of marrying it with the athletic test. There's also the, the, the medical aspect of, of Indy, which is very important. There's the interview process. We're not always privy to that stuff, but you certainly talk to people to find out what's going on behind the doors. But it, it, it's a, you know, 300 plus players. Not everybody works out, but it's a lot of information to, to, to process over a, a four day week. How much do you think a player can improve their position by the combine? Like lo- locally here, Blake Freeland, uh, an offensive lineman from BYU, tested extremely well. Yeah. Um, what, 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 what does that do for him? In his case, that's a great question, too, because he was one of the standouts of the weekend, I think. And, you know, in Blake's case, I was down in Mobile for the Senior Bowl, and, and you know, there were some reps where you felt like, you know, the, the defenders got the better, better of him, you know, and there were times when you thought, okay, you know, he's got some work to do. But um, I, I think there is – there is a sort of sense with him that he's got some untapped potential. You know, he's got the agility to kind of, you know, mirror rushers and, you know, fluid with his movements. Boy, I, I don't see, remember seeing too many guys, his size that moved as well as he did, you know, Colton Miller, a few years back who plays for the Raiders, uh, I think it was 2018, you know, showed some similar skills and ended up being, I think the, what, the 16th pick in the draft. I don't think that's where Blake goes, but, the point is, I think, you know, in the case of a Colton Miller, it really helped his stock. And so with Blake having coming off, you know, some some tough one-on-one reps in Mobile, uh, finishing, I think, the week strong down there, and then kind of bolstering that with, with his performance at the Combine, you know, it, it, it reinforces the idea that this is kind of a rare specimen. I mean, you don't find too many guys his size that move the way he does. So the teams that you know, run those those zone schemes and ask their, their blockers to get out to the second level. He's going to be a perfect fit for that. And a lot of teams have adopted, you know, offenses that you know, that, that that use those qualities. So I think, you know, he's, he's still got uh, a lot of opportunities to to do very well for himself in the draft. You never really know, but it wouldn't shock me being a day two picks rounds two or three. We were uh, discussing also here locally because, you know, these guys, you watch them play and you go, I don't know how these guys aren't going to get picked by a team. They're just like, you know, they're, right. good, they're good guys. They're athletic. They're, all these things kind of add up and you just hope so much for these local dudes who've put in so much time. Uh, Braden Daniels from Utah is one of those guys that had a, a really big weekend. You know, there are guys like Clark Phillips who it's an interesting thing, too, because there, there are guys who show up at the combine and it's like, hey, look, I'm not going to do anything to ruin my chance here. I don't want to get hurt or I even have like even a sliver. I'm going to sit out, sit this thing out and kind of keep myself. So here from the state of Utah, either at Utah, BYU, Utah State, or, or whomever, who are the people who stand out? You go, those are going to be the guys locally that are going to, be go, that are going to go the highest. Yeah, I mean, Clark Phillips had, you know, some, some tremendous moments in college. His size was always going to be an issue. He measured in at 5'9", 184. That might have been a little smaller than expected on, on the height side. And, you know, the lack of length, I think his arms were just over 29 inches, if I recall, off the top of my head. So, you know, that puts him on the smaller side of corners. However, you know, he's been a good football player, too. We've seen it. You know, the Rose Bowl, obviously the big performance, uh, you know, in 2021 or, the you know, the 21 season, I should say, uh, came back strong this year and, and lived up to the billing. It's hard for defensive backs who, you know, come in hype to sort of match that. But I think he did that. So, you know, as, for, for teams that aren't as hung up on the sides or if they project him inside to the slot, 
you know, they're going to still see uh, an active playmaker with great instincts, you know, a really good football player who can help your football team out. And, you know, teams that may be a little more rigid on the, the, the benchmarks for height and weight and length and all that, you know, he may not be a great fit for them. So that's, they're not, he's not going to be as high on their list, but I think he'll do pretty well for himself. It's a great year at corner. That's the one thing that scares you is that, you know, there, there are more options to that position than there are in a typical draft cycle. So, you know, if you come down to splitting hairs, hey, we could take the guy who's got a little longer arms or he's, you know, he tested a little bit better in this drill, that sort of thing. You know, maybe he loses one of those head-to-head battles, doesn't go quite as high as expected. But, you know, like we said with, with Blake, I think day two is, is a very realistic possibility for Clark. Brayden Daniels, quick story. You know, Friday night, I think the receivers had finished up and we're in the, the – uh, the, the booth uh, writing there, we're probably one of the last, uh, you know, five or six people in the stadium. We see some offensive linemen come out. They're getting ready for Sunday when they run. And uh, Braden was one of them. And he was one of about four or five guys who got out there early, I think, and, you know, started working on his 40 and stuff. And it just reminds you how much is put into this effort and how hard these guys train to, to get it right and make sure they're putting their best foot forward every chance they get. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Martin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. So I was I was drafted in 1990, and it was the first year juniors came out, and so they had a special draft. Um, they had a Willie. Um, oh shoot, what's his name? The who's? Uh, I don't know who you're trying to talk about. Uh, a Farm Aid concert. <laughs> Uh, so they could, they couldn't. Oh, do Willie it. Nelson. Oh, Willie yeah. Nelson. So we had to we had to do our combine at the uh, Colts facility, which they didn't have indoor. <laughs> Indoor facilities, and so we were all Outdoor. out in a thirty mile an hour wind Jeez. trying to run forties, and oh, it was just miserable. Uh, but one thing that was the same from Scott's draft is the same thing that happens now, where it's like, "Hey, kid, you look, you're probably a first or second uh, well, round guy," and then and then you see yourself start slipping a little bit, and you're like, "Oh my heavens, is there somebody who's like that? Ed, who's like they're going to slip down that draft order, or or could potentially see that that slide?" Yeah, based on what they did at the combine, you mean? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. There were there were a few workouts where you said to yourself, "Boy, that, that's a little bit surprising." Or I mean, I'm trying to think of there wasn't anybody that I don't think I don't think there's anybody that you know. Remember a few years ago when Orlando Brown was was drafted by the Ravens? Mm-hmm. There's this big, massive offensive line, and you know he's the son of a former Browns and, and uh, Ravens player. You know, well known. He becomes, you know, played at Oklahoma, goes out there, turns in historically low times, and everybody he became kind of the butt of the joke. I mean, lasted until the third round. This is a player who was mocked in, you know, the mid first. And guess what? Orlando Brown ended up getting, you know, a second contract and ended up being one of the, the top offensive tackles in the league and, and played for the Chiefs and won a championship this year. So, you know, sometimes we do overrate some of these workout numbers and say, oh, this guy didn't do very well. And this is, you know, you know, I think what it what it should do in a perfect world is if you see something that is out of whack, you go back to the tape and say, what did I miss? What, why, why did my eyes not tell me what I thought they were going to be seeing? You know, basically, 
this player should be running this, or this player should do this kind of a number and a drill. So, yeah, I don't know that there was anybody that really truly put on, uh, put up numbers that that made them undraftable or knocked them down two or three rounds. But the biggest thing I would say was probably a couple guys who got hurt on Sunday. Mm. Uh, Andrew Voorhees from from USC, you know, out there in Pac-12 country, he's obviously a, a well-known guy. He's played for six years, and you know, him suffering a torn ACL during the drill is is just a really tough blow for for a very good football player. So he undoubtedly was hurt by it. Um, you know, and there's going to be a couple more who might not have interviewed very well, or there was some medical information, red flags that were brought up. So the workout numbers can sometimes crash your stock, but I would say it's more often that it's injury, character, or some other factor that, that comes out there that, that ends up having a hindrance. Yeah, so getting back to my point about when when I went in the, in the combine, no one prepared for it. Like, you had no idea what you were doing. Yeah. And so so now so many guys are ready for it. And and I, you know, when you're talking about brain dang, I mean, these guys go and train – you know, for months and months to, on how to run a 40-yard dash. And, you know, I, I just – you have to wonder sometimes how much does that correlate into being a really good football player. It's like they train for the mini Olympics but not being a good football player. The the guy that's yeah. really no, interesting – sorry, go ahead. No, as you can say, there's no doubt. There, I mean, I don't know that we have so much better athletes now than we did in the 1990s. I think people are, you know, putting so much time and, and stock into this, like you said – we have guys this weekend who ran 40s who will never run another 40-yard dash in their life, and they'll be fine with that, right? They so, will not do, yeah. I, I, I was totally one of those guys. I, I understand that, that, that logic there. <laughs> yeah, there's no problem with that. So the guy who really stood out to me was Anthony Richardson. I think he's fascinating because he just seems like a specimen, but he just he's hardly played in college. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I, I got a lot of heat. Uh, now, granted, I just started at NFL Media back in July, and I think it was somewhere around August 1st that I put out a piece, and they were basically saying, you know, who are some potential candidates for, for you know, the first round next year? I forget what the exact, you know, title of the story was, but it was basically putting myself out there. Who Who's going to be the, the top draft picks? And some of them are pretty obvious. I think we kind of knew – you know, some of the top guys, but I put Richardson on the list when he'd had, I think, 66 pass attempts to his name. And, you know, I felt a a little nervous doing that because we didn't really know. All we saw was this, this ball of clay who was incredibly talented. And if you could mold it in the right way, you could have something truly special. And, you know, truthfully, this season was a little bit uneven from him. I mean, the first game he he tore up Utah, as you guys know. I mean, uh, you don't have you to watch remind him. us of that. Please. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to bring it up. It's a bad but yeah, day for Scott him, in the swamp. You know, yeah. Kind of, yeah, right. It was, you know, obviously came down to the final play, but right. I mean, he kind of carried them on his back that day. The next week against Kentucky, you know, he he flopped a little bit. So there is some of that in his evaluation, where you say. Uh, he's not there yet on this, but I thought his footwork looked a lot better until the very end of throwing session there. Uh, his athletic skills are, you know, almost unrivaled. You don't see six four, two 244-pound guys at any position move the way he does, uh, jumping, running. I mean, it's unbelievable. So all the tools are there for him to be, a, you know, a Cam Newton starter kid, if you will. So, uh, yeah, I mean, would it shock me if he went somewhere between the – you know, the third and the eighth pick overall, just purely based on upside? No, not at all. It, it, I think that may end up happening. 
Eric Edholm, NFL.com. You can read his byline there, get his breakdown of the combine. Two local guys here quickly we wanted to still get to. Jaron Hall, who uh, was on our show every week uh, during the fall and watching him grow up over the last two years uh, at that quarterback position at BYU and have really, really efficient years. The guys learn how to take care of the football very, very well. Uh, His numbers are always pretty decent. Uh, How was his combine? And then Dalton Kincaid also we wanted to hear about. Yeah, now with Dalton, obviously, the injury, you know, not being able to perform in Indy, I, I think, you know, we talked to him uh, uh, during the media session and stuff, and you could tell he was kind of itching to get out there, but playing it safe, which I think is a smart move, waiting for the pro day to work out. Uh, from what I understand, he's he's very well regarded. Very, very possible he could be the first, second, maybe the third tight end drafted in this class. It's a very good year for tight ends. So, you know, you think about a kid who – was late to football, you know, played at USD, didn't really, wasn't on anybody's radar, didn't have any stars as a recruit. For him to be in this position, you know, he's obviously got a lot of uh, traits that are innate, but he's also worked at his craft very well, too, and become, you know, a Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey type of tight end. So there's a lot of excitement about him. I, I can't wait to see if he is able to work out what he does there. But, yeah, for Jaron Hall, I mean, you know, again, we talked about the Senior Bowl earlier. I thought he got off to a real slow start down there, and it was disappointing because I thought maybe he could end up being one of the sleepers in this class. And He seemed to make marginal improvements with each day and I think played better by the end of the week. That's also a tough setting. I went down there, what, you know, 12 years ago now, 10, whatever it was, and watched Russell Wilson struggle and didn't mm. feel like, you know, and I liked Russell Wilson coming into that, even with the size questions that were there, but I thought – well, I don't know. You know, he just didn't look comfortable all week, but it's so tough for the quarterbacks. They get thrown into these these unfamiliar offenses with unfamiliar receivers, unfamiliar coaching. It, it's really especially tough for them because they're always going to be looked at as the leaders. But his touch, his deep ball ability, his athleticism, you know, all very interesting. And this is a QB class where it's very top-heavy. You have the top four, a couple guys in the middle, and then it's – five or six quarterbacks all kind of jockeying for day three positioning, I would say. And I think he's in that mix. I think he's, you know, he's done enough. He's had a good body of work in college. The age is going to be an issue for some teams. But if you're athletic and have a a quality deep ball and you can throw with touchdown the field, teams are going to be interested. So, you know, I look at a team like Seattle, just signed Geno Smith three years. Would love to have somebody behind him ready to go. That's a team that would make sense mm. to me. There are other, you know, other teams out there that have that same situation where, okay, they've got a starter in place, but what about 2024? You know, what are we going to do then? We'd like to have somebody to develop. And I think, you know, his experience is going to help him a lot. And I, I would say round five, round six, if I had to guess. But, yeah, I mean, he's definitely put himself in that draftable range. Eric Edholm, NFL.com. Like, now you guys are way under pressure. You've got to start putting out the way too early, like, 2025, 2026 draft because <laughs> you just get them too right even the year before. Or we just we just go so nuts for, like, these in, the insane lists way too early on these guys, and we, we, we don't know much about yeah. them. But I'm excited to see how these guys all roll out. That's probably got to be an exciting part of your gig is to just be able to go – Look at this guy. We didn't think he was going to do much, and there he is. Or we thought the world of this dude, and they ended up falling off the face of the earth. So we appreciate it. We love uh, yeah. getting that read on there, NFL.com. Eric, get home. Thanks for being with us, man.
Yeah, draft writers, political writers, we're always getting way too ahead of ourselves. Thank you, guys. <laughs> you bet. All right, uh, we'll take a break here. Let's jump out to the phone lines uh, in just a moment here. We're, we're, Scott, I was just I was fascinated too by the idea of what a team tries to gamble with, right? Because essentially the draft is that, right? You don't want gambling. That's why you get guys that are like, give me an edge rusher, give me that left tackle. Those are like the positions you feel like you can do uh, a lot with. And so I'm trying to figure out like a way that you can like really hit as a GM without getting caught with your shorts down because you just pick a guy who's super fast at the combine. You know, there's some teams that just really understand how to evaluate talent and some who don't. And they're just like, I, I think of the Baltimore Ravens are so good at evaluating defensive talent. I think I think they do a really good job of it out in Seattle. I think they've done a really good job of it in um, it, with the 49ers. And they just, they just understand what they're looking for. They understand what they're looking for on tape. They understand what they're looking for in a person. You know, and they, you know, it's it's no no different than recruiting. I mean, you you there's a type uh, that that you really draft to. I, I think the Steelers historically have been a good team drafting here in in recent years, and um, and those those teams tend to be the ones that you know um, just it's 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 more they're more consistent. Maybe they don't get that home run player as much. You know, sometimes they do, but they're just really good at at, at and it's not just first round talent it's talent down the road yeah. and they're just you know in the second round in the fifth round and you know they, they just teams are just good at finding the right players i'm dave Colley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast cold in october of 1985 a woman named sheree warren left work at a busy salt lake city office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership she never made it home Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.